Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 675 with Sean Walsheff. If somebody writes a negative review, it's an opportunity to maybe win back a customer that you wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, right? Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable. And if you sign up before December 15th, 2019, you can get your first three months free after committing to 15 months of service. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their products and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Sean Walshef. My man, Sean, are you feeling unstoppable today? Feeling very unstoppable today. Dude, this is going to be a good one. No pressure, but I know... I know this is going to be a good one. You'll find out after the uh, introduction why I believe it's going to be a good one. So the University of San Diego graduate, Sean Walshef, uh, opened Cali Comfort Barbecue in 2008. Ever since, the Walshef family has incorporated the Bulgarian tradition of hospitality into every facet of the barbecue business, uh, from hosting cooking competitions to publishing podcasts to catering events of all sizes. And that is right. You did just hear me say publishing podcasts on top of being recognized as one of the best places to get barbecue in Southern California. If not the best, uh, Sean is the founder of Digital Hospitality, where he guides fellow restaurateurs via video and audio content 
through an ever-evolving digital world. Did you just publish like you're, you're over 100 episodes? Digital, is it 106 or something in, in those areas? We're 106 episodes. Yeah, yeah, man. So that's a good feeling. I know what it was like to, to, to clear 100. It's like legitimizes what you're doing, right? 100%. So we'll, we'll be diving into that digital business, I'm sure, as the conversation evolves. But you got two seasoned podcasters on the mic right now. So it should be free-flowing. It should be good. I can't wait to dive in. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? If we can't tag you, we can't pimp you. Ooh, if we can't tag you, we can't pimp you. I've never heard that before. I don't even know what you dissect that sucker. So we believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. Yes. And one of the things that have helped us build our business, really the barbecue business in San Diego and the West Coast barbecue movement that we like to say is that we modeled after the craft beer industry in San Diego. San Diego has this incredible craft beer culture and has become a destination for people that love craft beer. It became that way because the industry supported each other. Yeah. So they would have Carl Strauss and Stone and Ballast Point. They all helped each other sharing, brewmasters sharing secrets, helping each other promote their businesses, helping each other with events. And events is one of the core components of our business. And as we've grown events in the last 10 years, doing that digitally is vitally important. So if you don't have a handle, we can't tag you in a promotion that we're doing. If we're all getting together for a barbecue festival, the people that we can tag, then we can all promote each other and we can get more engagement, more people, um, raise more money for charity and do great things. Yeah, man. A uh, great way to get this thing started. And that mentality, I think uh, just the idea of sh- all ships rising with the tide. And when something's new, the, the people who emerge on top are the ones that are just passionate about the thing. And for them, it's not about the money. It's about the thing. It's about the hobby. It's about the camaraderie. It's about the passion for the, the, the whatever that thing is, whether it's brewing beer or barbecue and the people who are willing to collaborate and share knowledge because it's about the thing and not about being the quote unquote best are the ones that are always end up emerging and like being at the top, the cream rises to the top. Right. Um, and it, when you have that mentality of like, it's not me versus you, but it's us. And how can we make this entire thing for everybody better? Those people are always the most successful. It's definitely a trend I picked up on I'm in sh- every community. I'm sure. I mean, you've interviewed over 600 different successful restaurateurs, chefs, people that have done significant things in the hospitality space. And you can tell it's, the people that are focused on profits that are focused on the transaction, they might make money. I mean, they they might be successful in, in their terms of success, but the people that love what they do, it's not about the money. It's not about the transaction. It's about something deeper and that, that deeper connection to making an impact, having a memorable moment with a family, with a guest where they choose you over yeah. somewhere else for a for something that's significant in their family's lives. Yeah, and I'm not saying that the money isn't important because we all know we need it. We need the systems. We need the processes. We need to be able to track a uh, profit. We need to be profitable. It's the gas in the tank it's to drive the engine. That is our mission, right? We need it, but you can't be focused on it because if you're focused on it, then it, the thing that's driving the mission, the thing, right? gets lost and you lose, you lose direction. You lose. It's like, why are we doing this? Right. You need sure. to have that thing, whatever it is, whatever, whatever sparked the joy in the first place that you can never lose sight of that. Um, all right, man, we got to dive into your story. So where does it start to make sense, uh, to start, to start, start sharing your story? When did you know that barbecue was going to be your, your path? I don't think it was really barbecue was going to be my path. I think it was, I was, I've never met my father, um, which is something that now 
the only reason that I, I say that is because I've, I'm lucky enough to have two children. I have a son that's two years old and I have a daughter that's five months old and it's the greatest gift. It's everything that anyone has ever told you about becoming a father. That's what it is. And, you know, every single day is an opportunity to spend time with him and for him to learn um, from me. But also I'm, I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about, you know, how to be a better dad. And the fact that I've never met my father means that he never took the time to reach out to me. Um, that's not something that I've, I'm resentful to him because I've lived a blessed life. I was raised by my grandfather who was an immigrant that moved to the United States through World War II. He became a medical doctor, was focused on education, and gave me a privileged life where I went to private school in La Jolla, which is one of the wealthiest places in all of San Diego. Um, I'm sure probably all of California. And I was fortunate to have incredible mentors teach me along the way. Um, in order to appease him, I think, is I thought that I wanted to go to law school. But I think that the law school was more because he was a medical doctor and he wanted me to make an impact. Um, he felt that by doing that was either becoming a medical doctor or becoming a, an attorney. Um, I took the LSATs. I didn't do well on the LSATs. I don't score well. Um, but I always write well. So I thought, you know, I had compelling writing material that I added to my application. I had compelling uh, recommendations from people of significance, yet all three law schools in San Diego rejected me. So I have, actually I have two of those framed rejection letters right actually where I we're recording it. above my desk. I'll try to get a photo of those before I I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually more upset that I lost one of the, the third one than I am of the other ones. But I just, I have that as a reminder. You know, I wasn't good enough for the law schools in San Diego, but we could, I can drop bombs on this, right? Yeah, well, but, no yeah, but fuck them, yeah. you know, but fuck them because yeah. if I'm not good enough for law school, I'm good enough to do something else. And, you know, I thought that I would never be in the restaurant business. I grew up kind of in the family business. I feel like it's also like to dissect this a little bit more. I think it's something that's worth addressing because I, I, when we're young, uh, graduating high school, 18, 17 years old, we have no frigging clue. Correct. We have no clue what we're good at. We might have an idea. Somebody, people might hire, like our grades will tell us we're good at math or whatever, but are we, we don't know what really lights us up until we get out there and we try things. And I think we get, we, we get forced into boxes too young in life, right? I agree. I agree completely. Um, yeah. But, but that mentality of just, uh, if you, when you get that point where, where, where you're on a path and that somebody put you on or, uh, a path you put yourself on early in life because you thought it's what you're supposed to be doing. And then when you don't achieve that thing, because it's just not right for you like don't stop there. Like Correct. just keep going. Don't let that, de don't let that define you. I mean, it, that resonates with me because of my history of being a commercial pilot, you know, and that path not working for me and being on this new path. So just don't stop um, when it doesn't work out. I just wanted to highlight that part of your story. No, I think it's, I think it's, it's crucial. You know, I think it's crucial for people to talk about their failures because the failures are what, what shapes us. I mean, anybody that's done anything of significance, they didn't do it overnight like this overnight. All of a sudden I became a, you know, overnight sensation. You know, I created Facebook like that, that, that stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, it has to be part of the struggle. And, you know, part of my struggle was, I mean, the biggest disappointment was telling my grandfather. It wasn't necessarily not getting into law school. It was telling him yeah. that I didn't get into law Dis school. Disappointing others, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, at that point, I think, you know, I tried to figure out kind of what I was good at. And one of the things that he was doing was real estate. So he was doing residential commercial real estate. And I started working with him, you know, kind of working just side by side with him uh, at the same time he was writing his life story. Um, so I was helping him uh, 
write his his memoir ghost writing yeah correct yeah. yeah so real quick just to put a time frame on this you opened in 2008 cali barbecue um when was this happening because i know you graduated 2006 from uh Cindy 2000 Apollo. yeah 2005 i graduated from usd so okay. in between 2005 and 2008 was really where i was kind of figuring out what my calling was okay and um it wasn't law school uh it was i was doing real estate because that was something that my grandfather was involved in so i was essentially helping in the family business uh the family business included uh real estate where the current restaurants located um, I also grew up in that restaurant when my family ran it. Uh, we ran it as a breakfast restaurant. And when I was in eighth grade, I was busing tables and washing dishes. Uh, when my friends in La Jolla were out playing sports, going to the beach, um, being kids, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of resentment towards, you know, it was like, fuck working. Like, I don't want, why do I have to work? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be more grateful that my grandfather and my grandmother um, at the time, they they made me do that because even though I hated being here and I hated bussing the tables, there was something there when I saw the families come in and they came in the next weekend. And then they came in because they had a connection with a server or they had a connection with that was their part of the restaurant or this was, you know, they ate this Rosarita omelet every single time that they came in and they had memories about, and they would share those memories. Something it, it, it made me feel good inside. Um, and I think having people together and different types of people um, in an environment was something that I was always attracted to. And I think that's really like the hospitality angle. When we opened up the restaurant in 2008, me and uh, one of my best friends from college, Corey Robinson, he grew up in his family business. He never thought he would be in the restaurant business, but it was literally an opportunity for us to take a liquor license, which was a type 47 beer, liquor and wine license. And put it on a location in San Diego that isn't a high, there's no tourists that come out to spring Valley. Um, you know, this isn't downtown San Diego. This isn't La Jolla. This isn't Pacific beach. We're not on the, on the coast. Literally there's a taco shop, a tire, uh, couple, three different tire businesses. There's a church, there's a, you name it. It's probably the most eclectic off, off the beaten path location. But we knew that there are good people in the area. Um, we knew that we could, pull off something that was different and unique, you know, kind of more of a family friendly sports environment. Um, so we did that, you know, we opened, but there was no barbecue at that time. So we opened and literally we just converted a breakfast restaurant into a breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, full service sports bar. Okay. So we had family seating, but we also had, you know, the, the sports driven, um, culture, which is something that I probably, you know, one of the things that I, I love the most is that it allows me to combine a couple of my different passions, yeah. which is sports entertainment. Yeah. And I think that's really important. You, you hear people all the time talking about, this is the concept that I want to create. Like, yeah. It's going to be this concept. I, I, I wonder sometimes if it's just better to make your business an extension of who you are, because you got to show up to that thing every day. It has to be aligned with whatever you're passionate about. So, um, is that kind of what you were thinking? Like, I want this to be someplace where I can pull 80 hours a week and not get sick of this theme that I created. You know, I think that, I mean, you hit it on the head. It was something that for me, I had to be all in. So I had to love the logo. I had to love the name. I had to want to promote the name. I had to want to be proud of the name. I had to want to wear the gear that we created. 
And that's, you know, something that we talk about is ABB and that's always be branding. If you don't love your brand, you're not going to want to make a onesie for your son to wear <laughs> with your logo on it and of your restaurant. If you're watching the video <laughs> component of this interview, you can tell that he uh, doesn't just talk to talk. He's walking the walk right now. He's oh, got yeah. the, the digital hospitality hat on. He's got the Cali barbecue t-shirt on. He handed me a, the digital hospitality mug that I'm drinking in my um, my seltzer water out of. That is correct. He's nailing it. That is correct. <laughs> and uh, we hope we hope that you tag us in those photos as well. We will, for sure. Um, so... The other thing I I think um, when like this coming up with this this uh this this vision for yourself this dream why barbecue neither of you guys had barbecue experience right correct oh no it's, it's people doing in San Diego doing barbecues laughable at best um you know for Corey and myself we always had this connection to sports and we learned things from our coaches and on the field with our teammates that extended beyond the classroom. There were some lessons, life lessons and lifetime friends that we met, um, you know, playing basketball, playing football, playing Corey played soccer. Um, I played tennis. Those things were important for us. And we knew that they were important for kids. You know, we didn't have kids at the time, but we knew that the area that we're located in access to sports is difficult. It's expensive for, um, uniforms. It's expensive to, uh, pay for entry fees. It's expensive to pay for travel. And we would have a lot of different little leagues, pop Warner teams, soccer teams coming and asking to do fundraisers out at the restaurant, which we always did. Um, but then we said, can we do something more? What can we do? That's more, um, Let's do one event and focus our. We'll get into the events on one. Event. <laughs> I want to. I want to focus. I think events is something that you do really well, and I'm sure we can learn a thing or two mm-hmm. from you on that. But when did you know that you're going to pull the trigger on this thing? You opened in 2008. Do you remember the time of year it was? 2008. We we formed the corporation in January of 2008. So it was 2007. Actually, we started a partnership with the existing tenant. So the existing tenant um, was actually running the breakfast part, and we thought, well, let's he'll, he can have majority control. We'll take a minority, but we'll bring in the liquor license. We'll add dinner service, and we'll add the sports bar. What did you do to protect yourself from keeping that person from taking over everything if they had majority? How we, did you have freedom to do what you wanted to do? We didn't, and that's why it failed. Okay, um, there was just a huge clash of ideas. It was essentially somebody that didn't want to grow versus us that were willing to flip the entire model on its head. Um, we wanted to add more hours. We wanted to add more products to the menu. We wanted to add more TVs. This was all a cost that for our business partner at the time, he didn't find that we could justify um, those added expenses. And we were just very lucky that after a huge blow up with him, um, we were able to get our liquor license back, um, not essentially get made whole, but we were able to work at work out a deal with the, the landlord um, that once the tenant moved, we would be able to take back over the space and do, do what do we you mind wanted to do. Diving into some of the um, details of that blow up, like what caused it, what we can do to protect ourselves from oh, abs- similar situations. Absolutely. That the, the blow up is, is one of the reasons we, <laughs> we started Behind the Smoke, which was the name of the podcast before we rebranded to Digital Hospitality, Uh, business is messy. I mean, they don't teach. I didn't take any business classes that taught me how to deal with personalities, um, that taught me how to, like you said, protect yourself um, in 
not losing everything, um, literally not losing everything. And part of the, part of the problem was when you're ambitious and you're trying to do something, if, if your dreams aren't aligned with your business partners and those aren't communicated, there's going to be a rift. It's just a matter of time. And I think what Corey and I found was our business partner was very frustrated with the group, what we were doing on an expense side, which was adding flat screen TVs, adding uh, bar, uh, bar taps, adding, uh, you know, more products that we were buying so that we could run, which was more labor. All those things added up to, and guess what? We weren't busy. You know, there was no dinner service because everyone in this area said, there's no fucking way a dinner is going to work in this neighborhood. Like once it's dark, people don't go out to eat. And that was something that I knew in my heart wasn't true. If we gave an incredible product, if there was people felt safe, all there is is people around it. There's no other business. No mm-hmm. other business has, has gone out of their way to come and embrace this community. If we embrace this community, they'll give it back to us. But that takes time. Well, that's one thing right there, too. Um, community starts from the inside out. You can't have community unless you are willing to harm. Like, you don't build the community from the outside in. You build it from the inside out. You have to be the source. You know, and that's, I feel like you knew that, like you, it, like there's no community here cause there's no source. Correct. So you have to become the source. You have to, you have to create that community and you, in a community spreads from the inside out. So you wore the heart of this community. There has to be that trigger, right? That, that initial source of energy, that initial short source of somebody pumping some type of culture into a community. And that's what you were, it sounds like you were, you were doing. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one of the things why I love podcast is it'll let you extrapolate in things like this that are so true to the core of not just who we are as a restaurant, but who any restaurant tour is. I mean, if you're not planting roots into your community, um, you know, Danny Meyer from setting the table, the incredible restaurant tour who, you know, absolutely love all of his work, um, enlightened hospitality, but he talks about, you know, union union square and he talks about picking offbeat locations because you get a better deal obviously on real estate, but even bigger than that, it's an underserved community Mm. and an underserved community means that it doesn't mean that people don't want to feel good when they go out to eat. It doesn't mean they don't want to have a place where they can celebrate, you know, their son's birthday or have the, you know, local church come over and do a fundraiser. What restaurants, eateries, bars do for villages is they give a sense of purpose to the entire village. Mm. And it's up to the restaurant tour to em- not only embrace that within their culture, but even more powerful is once you m- have a voice and you use that voice to talk about the entire community and not just about your business, everything starts to change. People start to perceive things differently in your community because well, perception is oh, reality. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, for us, I mean, we have our restaurant and then there's Valley farm market, which is the butcher shop down the street. They've been in business for 63 years. They were the sole guiding light for spring Valley. And then we came and we started guiding the same light, championing the same cause saying, Hey, spring Valley is amazing. There's amazing people that live in spring Valley. Um, what can we do within our four walls and outside of our four walls? If somebody needs something at the local fire station and they're doing a fundraiser, how can we help? Um, by leaving our four walls, we also 
not we're not just saying it we're actually doing it and people can feel that yes dude, i'm loving this um one thing I've, i haven't tapped into that i'm curious about no barbecue experience i mean you don't just flip a switch and become a pit master so like <laughs> no. what was like where did you go to even be able to do barbecue what was the barbecue originally even like was it good like was it did it was that an evolution like getting like mastering the the actual art of barbecue so my uh my brother uh tommy he was our original pit master and he loved to barbecue and he actually went to culinary school locally and he became friends with a former charger uh, whose name was Lou Bush. Lou Bush was not only uh, a former charger, but he also opened up barbecue restaurants, some of them successful, some of them not successful. He was also an on-air personality for local radio as well as TV. Um, he was somebody that we actually became really close friends, him, Corey. So this uh, is your mentor, the person that kind of was like, okay, like I've done a few of these. I can at least give you a foundation of like, you're going to need these things minimally. I would say less of a mentor than he was a colleague okay. because he was opening up his own barbecue restaurant at the same time. Gotcha. So he was opening up a barbecue restaurant in central San Diego at the same time we were opening up a sports bar eatery in East County, San Diego. So we were both having different challenges, hiring people like we, you didn't we see just, him as a threat. Oh, definitely not as a threat. Ah, yeah, no, that's your question. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> the, the rising tide doesn't see threats. Um, which, which is probably a weakness also, but for us, you know, I think it is. And I think it's not to derail your train of thought, but it's the 80, 20 rule, right? You know, like there's that 20% of people that just suck. Um, and they're going to, I mean, this is kind of a twist on the 80, 20 rule. I think the, the 80, 20 rule is like uh, 80% of your yield comes from 20% of your work, but I think it can be flipped where like 80% of your belief will come from 20% of the douchebags out there that burn you, Mm -hmm. which make you not trust everybody else. But there's still that 80% of good people who mean well. So don't let that 20% of people who burn you or don't follow through what they say or abuse your trust change your values because there's still that 80% of people overall like sure you will be okay does that make sense oh I mean if, if you just take Yelp for instance yeah. I mean there's restaurateurs that they hate Yelp because of the 20% of those one-star they, reviews yeah. and it's not about having a prejudice towards the platform it's about understanding that the internet's the internet there's people that are anonymous there's people that aren't but use it for what it is it's a free tool if somebody writes a negative review, it's an opportunity to maybe win back a customer that you wouldn't wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. I think right? we're probably going to dissect that later. <laughs> uh, but if, if you can get back into your previous train of thought uh, before I derailed you, you're, I think you were talking about um, not laying those like it's a strength and a weakness. Uh, yeah, the strength and a weakness. But so yeah, Lou Bush was opening up his barbecue restaurant. We were opening up Cali Comfort, and um, you know it was at that time where I mean we were doing barbecue, but it was probably just ribs that we had on the menu. Um, and our barbecue was shit. It was, it was fucking terrible. Um, we back to the events and back to the fundraising. Uh, so we, Corey and I, we started getting all these requests to do local little league fundraisers, pop Warner fundraisers. And we said, okay, let's, let's focus on one event. So what's that event going to be? And we had a brainstorming session and figured out the thing that people were most attracted to was doing an amateur barbecue event okay we're like great perfect amateur right. barbecue event let's do it let's we'll do it we'll do it in the we'll do it in the parking lot we're gonna leave a teaser that's the teaser and take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back 
Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take care orders and much much more in other words bento box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most your restaurant bento box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence profits and relationships online and if you head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable before december 15th you can get three months free when you sign up for 15 months of service, one more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. All right, so we're back. And why this event? What was going on in your head? Like, why was this going to be the event to do a, um, an amateur barbecue cook-off? Why was that the solution? I think it was just it was just traction. It was just that the more people that we talked to, coaches that wanted to participate, other people in the community that... To put on an event, you need participation. And you're finding your tribe, right? You're going to find other passionate people. Um, so I don't want to like, I can kind of see where the conversation's going in the sense that when you surrounded yourself with all these like-minded, passionate people that had this hobby, that's probably when you started to learn a lot about barbecue and started improving your, your product. Well, it was, it was reaching out to the experts. So we had competed in a professional Kansas city barbecue society event just because I wanted to see how we would do, um, we failed miserably. We got like last place and we were competing against teams that had invested hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you went out to, um, we we went out to Kansas city. No, no, there's local. So Kansas city barbecue society. Think of it like the NFL. So they sanction events all across, actually all across the entire world. There's over 500 sanctioned um, events. They had one at a local casino here. We signed up, we did terrible. Um, but then this idea came for putting on an amateur contest. Okay. Great. So this I don't is, know this how is to put before this 2010. Is, this is, this is, we opened and we were a California comfort okay. restaurant and sports bar, but there's a lot of value. No barbecue. I think there's a lot of value in following your face. Cause it, you get to put your product up against other products and it gives you a, a reference point. Like, okay, this is where we are. Now we know what we need to do and how, we, you know, it gives you that idea of like, no. It's it's amazing that you say that because one of the most powerful things that came from failing up there was that we were the only local barbecue restaurant and that someone could come and eat barbecue from at the event. So we had people that they were all coming because they heard there's this championship barbecue event taking place. There were people from the media coming there and we developed relationships. We're like, yeah, we own a restaurant in Spring Valley. They wrote articles about the restaurant Spring Valley, they said, we're going to come back and see you. And we saw how powerful participating in an event was Mm. for us as a restaurant, because it was actually, you know, when you go to Costco and you actually, you try something and they say, and it's amazing. You go, okay, I'm going to go buy it. I mean, it's your point of purchase, right? People not only cared about what we were, what we were giving out as samples, but they cared about the story. The fact that the restaurant took the time to come and compete in this event. Hey, we're going to come and support you in uh, Spring Valley. I love it. That was powerful for us. Um, but to put on this event, I reached out to Kansas City Barbecue Society and said, is there anyone that can help help me answer questions about how to how do you run a fucking barbecue event? I have no idea. <laughs> so um, you're already committed to the event. And then you say, we're committed to the event without having one fucking clue how to put on a barbecue. It's event. that ready fire aim 
approach yeah. of just commit and we jumped we jumped out of the airplane without a parachute but i'm sure the first event you learned a lot of oh that God. during that first event and the second event you're like okay like the first th- event doesn't have to knock it out of the park the first event just needs to be the start of something to you need to not fail exactly you need to not fail in yep. order to put it it's funny because you, you're always you want to promote an inaugural event. This is the inaugural event, assuming that you're going to have a second one. You need to not fuck the first one up. <laughs> um, but you have to have people that are experts that know what to do. Mm-hmm. And finding Gene Goykachea, who's our barbecue mentor, um, him and I became friends because he cared about charity. He cared about barbecue giving back. Yeah. And the message that I told him was we're doing this for the kids. And he believed, he believed me. Um, I needed not just him to believe me, but I needed sponsors to believe yep. me, which that- is how I reached out to the local butcher shop, Derek Marceau, who became my co-host and said, Hey, we're going to be raising money for local youth sports. Would you donate the meat for the competition teams? He donated the meat. And that was really the genesis of this entire West coast barbecue movement was that, you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. You have to be willing to, because somebody from San Diego shouldn't be fucking doing barbecue. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, but you know, I think that's the power of a mission, right? If you develop a mission and you create a mission, people might not know you and they might not, not resonate with you, but if you can create a, like a disembodied overarching mission, that, that they, that that's something that somebody might be able to resonate with. Sure. And you can use that, that thing to, to, you know, to get people to buy in. And that gives you access to these people now. Uh, sure. Whereas but if you just said, Hey, you know, like come help me or like, Hey, come do this event. Cause we just want to do this event. But when you, when you put that overarching mission, like this event, so we can fill in the blank and make the world a better place, mm-hmm. you know, Correct. that, that gives you access to so many people. It's so powerful. And it, it forces you to be uncomfortable and to do things that you don't have to do in the four walls of your restaurant. Um, you also have to do things just differently. You have to think of it as uh, it's just not us as a barbecue restaurant. Maybe I can go contact, Coops, West Texas Barbecue, who's in Lemon Grove, less than a mile away, who someone might view as competition, but say, hey, Coop, would you be willing to come down in front of our restaurant, literally bring barbecue and sell barbecue so we can raise money for uh, youth sports and charities? Would you be willing to do that on one day? He has to think I'm not a fucking nutbag and has to go, okay. And he has to take a leap of faith. But once he takes that leap of faith and he comes and then another barbecue restaurant comes and another one, and now we have thousands of people on the street enjoying barbecue all for a cause. Now they know that we're not not only full of shit, but they have those same moments that we had at that first Kansas City barbecue event, I mean, where it's, it's like, holy shit, this is the power of actually getting involved. Yeah, and appealing to humanity, right? And, and, and doing good is good business, right? Uh, when you do good, it always comes back around. And I'm not saying go out there and do good just so you can make more money, but when you do, when you are conscious and aware and mindful of doing good, and you make it a point to do good, it will come back around. You don't necessarily need to keep tabs on how it comes back around, but just know that it will. Right. I mean, that's um, the, the ROI argument is always going to be the most difficult one. Well, the R what's the ROI of doing this event, but that's and the thing. You don't do it for the ROI. Correct. You do it because it's what you're correct. supposed to do. You any, know? But any, anyone that runs any restaurant, whether you're, or, or you go to a farmer's market, whatever you do, whatever you sell, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you make, like you're not doing that. Like the more that you give of that craft, it's a gift. Like you're giving that gift and that if it's a memorable gift, people are going to come back. 
and they're going to go tell your story without even you having to tell it yourself. Mm. And it's more powerful when someone else goes and tells it. So what did you learn about events? I mean, now you're still, are you, you're still doing these events annually. We just correct? finished our 10th annual uh, Spring Valley. So you must be like Festival. an event rock star at this point. <laughs> like you must have streamlined your processes. You must have a, you know, a flow that like, all right, like the events coming up, like, you know, Q series of events yes. that has to happen to pull off the event. So what yes. does that look like? What things do we need to do to, to execute a successful event? To be honest with you, the, the events started becoming so much more profitable, so much more impactful. Once Derek and I started getting out of our own way, saying that we can do everything. We don't need to be on every committee. We need to find people that believe in the mission that, we can give them the reins to and say, you're responsible for teams loading in. You're responsible for setting up vendors. You're responsible for this person's responsible. Abby, you need to do the permit. You need to do the registration, the admin side, because they do it fucking better than we do. Yeah. Honestly, they do it better than we do now that we've gotten away from that. Um, Derek Walls, we have him coordinating directly with the amateur barbecue teams. We had 20 teams sign up in one week. So we sold out of spaces, 20 teams signed up within one week, 13 of those were first time teams. So they've never competed. They have all kinds of questions. I don't have the time to answer all the questions, even though I want to, but we have a liaison, which is Derek walls. And he personally reaches out to each team captain and says, how can I answer questions? How can I, you know, how can I give you value so that you feel comfortable competing in your first event? So, um, what are some things that you oversaw in the early events? Everything. Give us some like some big things that we just need to consider that are the, probably the most likely things to be oversought or over like missed. You know what I mean? Like not considered. That might be a nail in the coffin for the, the big. The biggest thing is is think big. So projecting out how big can we? Initially, we thought this event was going to happen in our parking lot. That quickly we realized how many people already were excited even before we decided to do the event. And then once we announced the event on social media, we realized we don't have a fucking space in our parking lot. So now we have to think, well, okay, did this just become a block party? (laughs) What has to happen to put on a block party? Now we have to contact the County. We have to contact the sheriff's department, the fire department, the health department. Now we have this thing that grew in, from something that was a tiny fundraiser into literally a festival shutting down a street, correct? (laughs) Shutting down a major thoroughfare within our village. Yeah. And how do we do it? How long do we do it? It's 12 hours that we're shutting down this thoroughfare. We have to literally sign off on, you know, 600 pieces of cones and barricades and signs. What's that process take to get approved for, uh, to to be able to do an event like this and shutting down? Like, is there like a, a minimum amount of time we should work into starting the process of, of getting the the minimum of six months, six months. Yeah. Minimum of six months, if not a year and, and back to reaching out to people that have done it before, um, reaching out to people that have done it before because they've already made those mistakes. And even if it's not in the same city or the same County, there's universal themes about how to put these events on that you need to think about. And there's amazing stuff that you can find, you know, on podcasts that you can find on YouTube that you can find in blogs, um, about putting on, you know, festivals or block parties, whatever is going to make an impact, whatever makes sense that you've always dreamed of for your restaurant, for your village, those things can happen and you can be the catalyst to make that happen. And the reward and 
I mean, again, it's not like don't be so focused on getting the return. But when you do make it about others and you d- dedicate yourself to others, the return is just so bountiful. It's like almost yes. endless because what it, it's the natural order. Uh, you got to give before you get. It's and then when like it's like an exhale, right? And I got, I'm pulling this from the Go Giver. I don't know if you've ever read that book, the Go Giver. I'll, I'll uh, put it on my list. It's the natural order when we exhale. What's the next thing? Inhale. You have to take it in. Because you can't, the cycle can't continue unless you, you know, like, so it's that give and that take. It's the ebb and flow. It's the natural order. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to spend the entire conversation here, but I do feel like, and I think you would agree with me that these events were probably one of the, the if not the most important thing to your success, one of the leading contributors to your success. Am I off by saying that? No, I, I mean, we've always run our restaurant as an event company. Mm. And I think because sports and entertainment are so vital to what we do as a business. We've incorporated that into our 363 days of marketing because every day, guess what? It's a fucking event. Yeah. Every shift is an event. Every day there's a, some, some sport that's on, whether it's a world series, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's esports, whether it's fight night, whether it's you name it, we'll put it on. What, if, what? if we can get access to it, We'll stream it. We'll pay for the licensing. We'll do whatever we have to do because me being a super fan of sports, especially of the chargers. um, I know that when I studied in Spain with Corey, we had a group of Americans that befriended a local bar owner and got that bar owner to open up his bar at four in the morning (laughs) so that we can watch the Raiders play (laughs) Tampa Bay for super bowl. Oh, that's awesome. Literally. But because we cared that much. Yeah. And fans, you we care that much. So it doesn't matter if it's soccer, it doesn't matter if it's if it's what it, you name it. Tennis, I don't care what it is. If somebody wants to watch it, we're going to find a way to put it on because those people are bringing people to the restaurant. I love it. Um so what what appendages does our business need to grow to be able to, to operate like this? In the sense like what parts is our like what what roles did you create within your business to manage all these events? What systems did you develop to be able to make sure these these events go off like, what does that look like being able to host these events? Like, what do we need to know about events to do it well? I mean, one of the most important things is it's venue. So you're if you're going to be a sports entertainment destination place, you've got to have fucking great televisions and you've got to have them in strategic locations. So a lot of the misconception of a sports bar, I mean, you, you know, you go to Buffalo Wild Wings and I'm not throwing them under the bus by any means, but the pitch is, Oh, I have, we have 75 flat screens. Well, I don't give a shit if my game's not on those 75 <laughs> screens. Don't mean shit to me. I, this I resonates with my me, game on. I'm dr- like in, I, you know, me being all over the place traveling, like I, it's hard, especially on the West coast to find the Patriots game. Right. Correct. So I'll show up an hour early to a bar to make sure that that TV is going to have like, like that TV. Yeah. Like Correct. I'm here, like that TV is going to have the Absolutely. game, like this game. I'll even tell you what channel it's on. Like, so we, <laughs> you know? we've gotten to the point 11 NFL seasons of operating that we as managers plan out the 18, we have eight, we only have 18 TVs. We have a, our restaurants, 5,200 square feet, 5,200 square feet. We seat about two fifty, depending on who's asking if it's a fire department or if you want to throw a party, if you want to throw a fight night, we might, we might yeah. see more than that. Um, but on those TVs, we literally, my manager now, Ian, this is the first year that I haven't done it personally. We'll go through the entire slate of NFL games, the 10 AM for West coast kickoff, the first round of games, the 1 PM games, and we'll allocate those two TVs 
in the restaurant based off of the fans that have been coming for this season, based off of what's the best games, and we let our host know. We put it on our no wait, our iPad, what? so that when the guest comes in with a with a Patriots jersey, the host immediately knows you're over you're, there. Here, you're here to watch the Patriots <laughs> yeah. game. I'm going to make sure to seat you exactly where the Patriots are be, are being played. That's awesome. That's like that's the, that's the attention to detail. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, I think it was in uh, the front of the house by Jeff Benjamin, um, where he suggests that in you need to sit in every seat of your rest. Like how many restaurant owners have sat in every seat that they own? Yeah. Not many. You need to sit in that seat and put yourself in the position as a, of a guest. And like, is there air coming on me? Is there a light in my eye? Like an experience. But I mean, that's kind of like what I'm hearing with you. Like you need to put yourself in every seat of your sports fans. Right. And yeah. like, which TV are they going to be able to see? And like, and that, that's the attention to detail. That's empathy. That's caring. That's, that's going the extra mile. I love it. Well, that's, I mean, it's something that I look for when I go to a stadium, when I go to an arena. Mm -hmm. And if I owned a stadium, if I owned an arena, I would sit in every fucking seat and make sure that the viewing angle was correct and that I could tell when the timeouts are. Because I know as a fan, that stuff is important to me. I care about the audio. If it's a big game, if it's the only the Thursday night football game and there's Chargers are playing the Raiders, the sound better fucking be on or I'm going somewhere else or I'm going to go watch it at my house because as a fan, I want to know what down and distance is. I want to know what the announcers are saying. And it creates an atmosphere, which is what we do on fight night when Pacquiao's fighting Mayweather. Guess what? That's full sound. Everything's dedicated to that event. Mm. And unfortunately, yes, we have to turn customers away that want to buy a full rack of ribs um, to come and sit down. They didn't know fight night was happening. And it hurts my heart to actually have to turn them away. But the event is the focus. Yeah. So the, the the original question was, what elements does your business need to be able to execute events well? And um, what I was getting, um, which I think we're eventually going to evolve the conversation into this, is if you're hosting an event, great. It's not, but it's not worth hosting that event unless people know about it. So, <laughs> like, how I guess the the appendage that you yes. have to create is a very a robust and aggressive marketing campaign to like create awareness about these events and that I, I think that's kind of what i was getting as like, how are you promoting it how are you promoting these events how are you keeping these events organized how are you prioritizing which event you're gonna show to get the maximum return on that space right because you Correct. want to you want to host the event that's going to draw the most people right Correct. so how do you coordinate all this stuff is i guess i mean this is specific to the sports but is it just like a gut instinct thing for you because you're such a fan yourself that you know what's training you know what people are going to want to watch well Yes and no. I think, you know, one of the, probably the most helpful piece of information was when we first opened the restaurant, I had my best friend, Jack Harris, um, his father, Russ, he helped set up our initial website um, because that's what he did. So he helped set it up, which was great. It was phenomenal. I gave him photos, gave him text. He updated it. Once we started showing fight nights, paying out of pocket for the license to show the fight, which is significant because you're getting charged per square footage. So it doesn't matter that we're here in Spring Valley. If this same exact footprint was on the strip in Vegas, we would pay the same exact amount of money. So we have to charge a cover for us to be able to pay for that to make it make any sense at all. I needed that event to be on the website so that when somebody went to Google and they go, where can I watch the boxing fight? Where can I watch the Pacquiao Mayweather fight in San Diego? Our restaurant, Cali Comfort, is going to come up in the top results. 
The only way that happens is if it's on the website ahead of time. So I would time ahead. That's, that's a a continual thing that I keep, that I keep trying to learn because the sooner, the better. And then when you figure it out, Google changes. Well, the the sooner, the better, (laughs) the more content that you have and the more that it's updated on the website, the more chances are that they're going to find you, that they're going to know that, Hey, this is a restaurant that shows boxing. This is a restaurant that shows UFC. Yeah. If you're the other thing, like if you're the first search result, uh, and then the Google's going to see that there's so much traffic going to this page Correct. and that it's the high ranking. Correct. So you got to be first to like promote and get it out there Correct. And, ha- and exist essentially. Correct. So when I was, when he, when he was maintaining the website, I would email him and say, Hey, I need this information on the website. It's 21 and up only. It's going to be a $10 cover. Um, this, that, this, and that's and the legality here- thing. Uh, not a legality, more of an information thing, Got it. uh, okay. operational information so that people came and they didn't bring their kids and then they have to go, you know, back home. Gotcha. Um, I would send him that information and then he would update the site when he would update the site. Maybe it wasn't the way that I wanted it, or maybe I needed to add information. I would have to email him again. Now we're talking about days are going by where the site isn't getting updated. Um, I went to one of my close friends at the time, Adam Harris, who was running websites for a lot of the San Diego chapter for California Restaurant Association. So he was doing Cone Restaurants, which is one of the biggest, most successful uh, chains here in San Diego. It's not a chain. It's an independent restaurant group. Um, They're phenomenal. David Cone's just absolutely a a mentor without being a mentor. And um, he was running their sites and he he told me, he's like, listen, I can do a site for you. That's no problem. Uh, but I'm going to teach you WordPress. Um, and him and his brother took the time to sit down and put us on a WordPress site. And he essentially gave me the keys to the internet at that time, because he taught me somebody that doesn't have a tech background. I studied sociology. Um, I don't know anything about it. He said, listen, if the platform isn't easy, enough for you to do it. It's not going to, it won't succeed. So you should be able to publish on the internet on any platform at any time. And all you need to do is to get over your frustrations and get over your fear. And he did that for me. And it's literally changed our entire business because he empowered me to know that Facebook business page, not a, not a problem. Instagram, not a problem. Snapchat, not like nothing is a problem because I'm not I'm not, I, yes, I'm scared of the new platform because I don't know what the, the content's going to be. But once he gave me the keys to the car and said, Hey, here it is. This is the internet. Like do it and then test and then see it. Did you actually show up in the search results? Did people actually click through? Did they buy a ticket on the site? And then it's tweak, 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 it's tweak, tweak, yeah. tweak, but it's always learning and it's always evolving. And just because we knew it then doesn't mean that we know it now. And we're continuing this whole digital journey, digital publishing journey. Did you find yourself getting like really interested in it though? Did you, did you find that you actually enjoyed this process of tweaking and developing and fine tuning? Was that something that you liked? Inherently, I've always liked promoting Mm. like any, if, if it's something I believe in, I believe in promoting it. So I was in high school, great at throwing parties, go figure. Now I own a bar. So yeah. I was already recruiting people to drink <laughs> underage, it's, and now I own a bar. Have you ever heard that? Uh, not to get too far off subject, but the uh, mentality of like when you're trying to figure out what the hell to do with yourself, your life, and like it's it's a matter of like becoming still and just like going back to like whatever it was like that you can like remember that made you the most happiest, that is like closest to the essence of whatever it is you are. Um, when I when I do that, 
it's like my what I love to do. The thing that that like sparks joy in my life is bringing people together sure. and like and like throwing parties. So yeah. I was like, I can't. But I was like, you know, it's just funny that you said that because it, well, it really I, resonates with well, me. It's, it's, I love throwing parties. I was a party. Like I would always bring people together. I just love bringing people together. And, and I'm like, can you be a professional partier? But at that point, I mean, you can be a, an event <laughs> That's planner. That's essentially what restaurant yeah. tours are. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, we're, we're all professional partiers. Yeah, right? we, love, we love to welcome people into our homes. And whether the home is literally our restaurant, which we treat them as homes, we pe- keep people as family. But yeah, if you're if you're not comfortable welcoming family in all walks of life into your business, this isn't the business yeah. for you, so, <laughs> because that, that's what we fucking do. So I want to I gotta tear into you now. I gotta I gotta pull back some layers because I feel like this is where you're strong. This is where you're strong. Digital marketing, uh, media. This is like this is like the catalyst. This is like the, the triggering of like what help you evolve into what you are today. So. Um, what do we like? I mean, it's such a broad topic. Like, what what do you want to talk about? Like, what knowledge can you share with us today to make us all better digital marketers in our business? So, I mean, I think you know my own digital marketing journey. If you know, I, I like to use placeholders because it helps me understand like where we are, not just myself as a business, but where we are just in society. And in 2007, the year before we opened up the restaurant, that was when the first iPhone came out. Mm. That's not that long ago, no. but if you think about it, when the first iPhone came out, Lou Bush, who I talked about before, the former charger who was opening up, he was the, he was one of those fucking people that was in line for this fucking iPhone. Yeah. And he told me for months how incredible this iPhone was. And I just never believed him because I had an Android and I loved my phone and this, that, the other, everyone has certain prejudices towards technology. There's things that we're comfortable with and there's things that we're not comfortable with. And it's literally these oh shit moments where technology enables us to do things that we never thought were possible. And that's why all these companies keep succeeding. That's why Netflix went from some hokey, hey, you you get CDs in the mail in a red envelope to the behemoth that it is today. I mean, that's why Amazon is what it is. I forget that that's how it started. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. You know, it's crazy how fast technology is changing. And, you know, I share the story a lot on our podcast that when we first opened up the restaurant, I didn't have a Facebook page, you know, Corey, my, my, one of my closest friends, my business partner, he had a Facebook page and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you, are you just picking up girls? Like, what, what are you doing? Why do you have a Facebook page? <laughs> yeah. And he just, you know, he had a Facebook page, but once we were struggling to get people to the events, to get people to the restaurant, I started saying, well, what the fuck do we have to do? If it's getting on the website, if it's hosting fight night, if it's getting a face, oh, there's Facebook page for business. Like how much does that cost? It's free. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what do we have to do? We just claim the page, claim the page, and then we fill out the information now. Okay. Now the information's filled out. Now what is it? Now you need content. So now we need to produce photos. We need to produce video. Well, do we know how to do that? No, we don't. But we learned along the way. And I think, you know, one of the things that has always been important to us was to never use stock photos, you know, stock photos on the website, stock photos on Facebook. Like if it's not what, like nothing makes me more upset yeah. than seeing some fucking bullshit burger, you know, on a commercial and then going to the restaurant and be like, that, that's not what I got. Yeah, it's taking it's not a even, freaking picture of the thing. It's Correct. right there. Not even close oh. to what I got. The cameras today too are just so good. incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. So it's, you know, it's, it's really getting over my fear of Facebook, getting over my fear of 
WordPress for the website, um, seeing that Twitter was coming along, getting on Twitter. Well, what do I publish on Twitter? You know, it wasn't until I started my own personal Twitter account, um, my own handle where I could speak in my first voice and didn't have to speak for Cali Comfort, the brand, where I started to understand the nuances of the platform that I didn't understand when I was doing it for the brand. Like what are the new, like the specific nuances that you didn't understand that you now know? Just, just the power, the powerful um, connection that you can make. Uh, it, it's, it was easier for me as the owner of the restaurant to engage with local sports um, media members that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story about Twitter. It was, there was Jim Trotter. He works for NFL Network. He's one of the most respected uh, sports journalists, NFL journalists there, there is, he worked for ESPN. He's worked for sports illustrated. He's worked for the union tribune covering the chargers. Um, he published a book on junior sale, who was a incredible hall of fame linebacker for the chargers. And he was on local sports radio. He was on the Dave and Jeff podcast. Uh, not sorry, not the Dave and Jeff show. They have a podcast now, but it was the Dave and Jeff show on local AM radio. And he was promoting the book. So he was on promoting the book, talking about, how when say I was alive, Dave and Jeff, as well as Jim Trotter and CS Keys, they would all get together for fight night. They would all enjoy fight night at Seau's restaurant, which no longer exists because he had passed away. Mm-hmm. And they were reminiscing about it. And I was listening in the car driving on my way to the restaurant. And I was like, wow, they care about fight night as much as I care about fight night. I'm going to send a tweet to Jim Trotter and to Jeff Dotseth because they love fight night and invite them to come watch the Canelo fight at our restaurant. What are the chances they respond? Slim to none. I was like, you know, it's like throwing a fucking needle in a haystack. Not only did they respond, but they came out nice. and they watched fight night at Cali comfort. And they had such a good, incredible experience because it was unique. It was who we are. It was, you know, us doing what we do and how we do it that they wanted to come back the next time. And now Jim Trotter, who, and Jeff Totseth are two of my closest friends. And these are guys that I grew up reading their articles in sport, in the sports pages. I grew up listening to them on the radio and now they're not just colleagues, but we're, I literally were friends and that's only because of Twitter. Mm. So just the lesson there, I feel like is just put it into the universe, right? Yeah. Like what, what are you going to lose by not, but by sending that nothing, but you, you can only gain and if nothing happens, nothing happens. But by by doing that, you created a new relationship, right? Uh, and I mean, what, what what's the biggest lesson that you want my listeners to get from that? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, it's always stay curious. So your curiosity has led you to this podcast. You wouldn't be listening to the podcast if you weren't curious to learn more, to find impactful ways to to build your business. But that's the first piece. The second piece is to get involved. So take an action from what you hear. And the worst that can happen is nothing results of that action. Yeah. But create those in, oh shit internet moments for whatever you care about, whatever you're passionate about in your local community, in, in your life, for your kids, for a charity, yeah. whatever that might be. The internet has broken down so many different barriers to things that can make us successful, but also can create other opportunities that you never thought were going to ever be possible. Yeah, and I think the other little nugget I pulled from that was be the solution. When you were listening to these these guys talking on the radio, they didn't have a place to go. Correct. But you had a place. So you were able to provide a solution to them yep. that resonated deeply with them. So now, you know, like this is like they're going to see that. They're going to recognize that and I mean try to try to find opportunities to be the solution, right? Correct. And to solve problems. So if you can solve problems, 
you'll have a lot of friends, right? Sure. <laughs> um, what was one thing that you absolutely wanted to make sure we discussed today that we have not talked about? Um, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I, I think one of the most important things is really who you surround yourself with. Um, and I think, you know, the more that I personally started listening to podcasts, I mean, as a restaurateur, we, we have 5 million things to do. We have 5 million responsibilities and, you know, the listening to podcasts like Gary Vaynerchuk, um, the Gary V experience, Tim Ferriss, um, entree leadership, uh, Donald Miller story brand, um, your podcast. I mean, by the way, it's an incredible, uh, like it's incredibly humbling and, uh, an honor to be listed amongst those podcasts that you just shared. (laughs) What's, what's important, Eric, what, what you've done is you've gone all in to give back to restaurateurs and we're the most busy people, the most eclectic people, but we love what we do and we just don't have time. And that's mm-hmm. the the gift of podcast and the gift of sharing stories is mm-hmm. that through those stories, I could listen to somebody that owns a restaurant in Australia that might say something that can change the course of, of my company forever. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so powerful. But I didn't mean to take that on to myself. No, but I just wanted no, to like I, thank I, you for putting me on that that level of. I of, I uh, think it, I think it's important for people to understand the commitment that you've made to the restaurant industry because to publish a podcast, which I know well of now, having done 106 episodes, I mean a weekly podcast. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to book book interviews. I didn't know how to publish it on the but it was all part of that journey. And that journey has led me to create other relationships with other restaurateurs, with other people that are in sports media, that are in media in general. There are people that are doing incredible things in nonprofits in San Diego. Um, it's allowed us to have a voice in San Diego about barbecue. I mean, we won an award for best audio series at the national barbecue association where people in Texas, people in Austin, people in Memphis, people in Kansas City, like we're talking about the meccas for barbecue, they know about Cali Comfort and Spring Valley. They know about our village just because we were willing to put ourselves out there, yeah. but not just share our story, share other people's stories. I love it. Awesome stuff. Um, so I think one one thing that we can both agree on is, uh, and you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, this mentality. I know I don't know if he coined it if he was the first person to say it, but I know I've heard him say it, that we need to treat our businesses like, or, or specifically our restaurants, like digital companies first. And then yes. whatever it is we do second, we need to, to build those things into our business to, to capture and share what we do and to entertain basically, um, uh, content marketing, uh, and making it all in house. And there's, I guess, what is the secret in your opinion to doing that? Well, what pieces does your business need? Uh, what practices do we need to develop to be consistent and to, to have a, to be, to have our own marketing department or digital media department within our restaurant? I mean, I think probably the most powerful thing that, you know, Gary talks about is thinking of your business like a media company. Um, and by thinking like a media company, you act differently you act differently about marketing. How does you know, a media company think? A media company thinks less about themselves and more about the story. So what is the story? And like back to what you were talking about, uh, what we were talking about earlier about being the, the roots in your village and being the, the voice in your village. There's things that are happening right in your community that people need those stories to be told. There's mm-hmm. a local 
breast cancer fundraiser. There's somebody that's, you know, struggling on their deathbed that needs their story to be told. You can be that story in your restaurant. You can literally become that story by publishing audio, by publishing video. And it's not something that happens overnight, you know, but it it, it has to be ingrained into you because how many things do we have to do? We have to do 5 million things as restaurant owners. Dude, you just struck a vein with me. You just struck a serious vein with me and it's kind of a tangent, but I'm going there anyway. Go. Um, So you mentioned that uh, you're just, I'm like, I'm like so excited. I can't even get the (laughs) thoughts out. So uh, there's just so many people out there um, that have stories to be told. And I think traditional media companies, there was only a few of them. And they all just kind of hopped on the bandwagon of what other media companies were doing. Correct. So you have certain people in this industry and I'm not going to take the names are like Thomas Keller, Alice water, Danny Meyer. These people are incredible, right? Really incredible. I'm not taking anything away from what they have accomplished. But at the same time, there are countless other incredibly like incredible restaurant tours out there that just never really caught the wave or never really got that first media thing that led into the the other media thing that led into the other media thing. But they all have a fucking story to tell. They all have knowledge to share. They all have an impression to make. And that's the magic is that there's so much, there's so much opportunity up there. And like, and that's my focus is I could be chasing the Danny Myers of the world, but what I'm after uh, is the people that that had? Why would I tell Danny's story? Yeah. Everybody in this industry is red setting the table. Why of do course. I need to tell it again? But what about all those other people that have so much to give that ha- don't don't have the medium that don't have the platform to share their knowledge? I mean, there's so much. Again, I said this is going to be a tangent, but like that's why I got no, really excited with what you were saying. I, I, it it's the essence of the world that we live in is that you know we've been given an opportunity during this changing technology to understand that we don't have to depend on the local newspaper. We don't have to depend on local radio. We don't have to depend on local television. We can publish directly to the internet and impact not just our village, but yeah. the world in, in, in a whole. Yeah. And there's and a lot people of people that care. There's a lot of hope because when anybody has too much ears or eyes, and that's a lot of power. Sure. When you have ears and eyes, you have power. And what's happening in the world is everything. It's getting so fragmented that these organizations, the NBCs, the ABCs of the world, the Disney's of the world are like, fuck, yeah. like we're losing all of our power because it was the attention that we had. We had your eyes and ears and that is so powerful. You can, you can move entire economies in, in, in countries with the attention, with people's attention. Right. And, and people that are willing to give information away for free, which you're doing is so powerful because it's an equalizer. It's, it's an equalizer because it's on demand. Well, Nobody's sitting there forcing you to fucking sit here and yeah, listen to this. Regardless podcast. of your age, your sex, your nationality, your privilege, your beliefs, you have access to the same information that the most powerful people have access to. It's an equalizer. Correct. You know, before, going back even just 15 years ago, you had to have means to get access to certain information. And unless you had those means, you, you there was a gap, right? And I think, the, I, I think that the restaurant industry and, and using technology, um, I really think that we're going to change the world. I think well, we it's, are. I, I mean, I, I believe it and I, and I know it, which is why we've transformed our business into a media company. Literally like, I mean, our domain is now Cali media because I wholeheartedly believe that restaurant tours are resourceful. If there's one fucking thing that, that all that, puts all of us together is we know how to get shit done. Yeah. We know how maybe somebody's a talented chef, but they understand that they need somebody that's 
great with business that understands that this fucking thing isn't going to just win on food alone. Mm. There's somebody that's incredible with hospitality, but they understand, Hey, if our food sucks, this fucking place isn't going to work. There's other people that understand marketing. There's other people, there's people with all kinds of different diverse backgrounds. We're resourceful. And now in 2019, we're in this time where old media and new media are trying to figure this shit out. And the people in old media, people that were radio personalities, people that were, were writing for a newspaper, they're all going ma- They're all going throughout this massive ch- change. There's disruption in every single industry. What can restaurateurs do? We can always reach out. Yeah. There's creative people in every community that are videographers, that are photographers, that know how to publish a podcast. And we can say, Hey, I have a location. I have a restaurant. My restaurant, this room is empty on Tuesdays from 2 to 4 p.m. I would love to uh, figure out a way to create a studio, and you guys can podcast from here. Mm. So now somebody's broadcasting, publishing to the internet from your restaurant. Yeah. That's and they're bringing other people right? into the restaurant. Yeah. Correct. Um, so one thing that I challenge with being completely, uh, I'm challenged with, let me say that again. One thing I'm challenged with is that why I think I think this my podcast, for example, should have been way bigger a lot a long time ago. But mm-hmm. what I'm not good at is promoting myself. What I'm not good at, I don't. And the other thing I'm not good at is I don't like being like when I have to look at a screen. That's when I'm at my least happiest. Like I like to exist in the physical world, and I just don't feel like the 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 resistance for me to to capture something. And then I don't mind capturing. I don't even mind being on film. But what I do mind is the like the the content that I have to type. The, the things I have to think of to, to the, the text, the con, like the content itself, the, the sure. copy, sure. The, the constant copy that you have to tag with the, the photo, with the video. And for me, it's exhausting. It's dra- draining. And I'm also really self-conscious because I'm dyslexic and I'm afraid that if people see my typing or my, my, my typos or whatever, that they're going to see that and not, they're not going to get, they're not going to resonate with the actual content itself. So I think maybe that's I, one of my what challenges. I, what I would say is, that you should share more about your dyslexia and publish more. I'm trying. Like, I'm. This is like. like I'm that's, not, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, that, to be honest with you, that's Trans- full transparency. Full full transparency is the the more that we talk about our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities as men, as leaders, as as podcasters, as restaurateurs, the more that people connect. You yeah. know, and you know, on our podcast, I I share regularly that you know I, I talked about I've never met my father, but you know I'm an alcoholic and I own a bar. I mean, talk about hypocrisy, but that's something that within this space, there's a lot of people that are dealing with alcoholism, whether it's not personally, it might be somebody that they love. It might be somebody that works for them. And it's something that isn't talked about, Yeah, which is why I find it so important that I do talk about it. We have two AA meetings that happen in our bar. So every Friday at noon, we have a, a lunch meeting and every Saturday morning we have a men's meeting. And in those meetings is where I got sober. Literally, I accepted that I had a problem with alcohol and I'm somebody that, you know, I'm a professional drinker. I think I'm a hall of fame drinker. Literally. (laughs) When did you know you had a problem with alcohol? I'm curious. After my, after my second DUI. Okay. After my second DUI, I knew that, um, my uncle actually him and his sponsor used to come to our tailgate when the chargers were here in San Diego. And after I got my first DUI, we, I mean, tailgating was perfect for me. I mean, it's like a natural place to get people together to drink alcohol and to go watch football. Um, but him and his sponsor, his sponsor, they, they came to our tailgate and they used to come with their AA buddies and they'd bring Perrier to the tailgate and they would say, Hey, you know, we're, we're here. And I, I never understood how could they be at this alcohol 
infused event and still enjoy themselves when everything that we were doing was how much more can we drink? Um, because, you know, we're not at the restaurant. We're here to enjoy the game. Uh, he told me, Hey, if you ever get a second DUI, um, you come back and talk to me. You mm-hmm. might have a problem with alcohol. I was like, no, I don't have a fucking problem with alcohol. Five years later, after I got arrested, it was the only thing I could think about. Man. So how's your life been since that day? Of- I've been sober for seven years and it's changed everything. I mean, there was a point where my five years of sobriety, I'd, I had run the restaurant five years as an alcoholic and then five years in recovery. In those five years in recovery, I was able to exponentially change the things that I was able to do because even though I considered myself a functioning alcoholic, um, as I got older, those, you know, partying after a long working 18 hours and then drinking, you know, when I went home, I would wake up and I just wouldn't be as good as I could be if I hadn't. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for getting open and honest there. And, and, um, I mean, what, what's your advice for somebody who might be like, kind of like denying it right now? Like what, what helped you get over the edge? I mean, the, the biggest thing with, with Alcoholics Anonymous is there's this incredible network of, I mean, it's literally storytelling and it happens all over the world. So, you know, I would suggest anyone go to a meeting if they think that they have a problem, but that's the thing about alcoholism. It's, it's so personal. Like you have to know within yourself that you have a problem and know that there's somewhere you can go and people, anyone can contact me at any point if they want to talk about it. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, you have to go and ask for help. Yeah. Well, great advice. I wasn't expecting to get into that, but I really do appreciate it. Um, bringing the conversation back to digital media and marketing. Yep. Uh, one issue that I have with social media is that I feel like there's a, it's fear-based that if you don't do this, your business is going to fail. FOMO. And what's that? FOMO. No fear of, um, you know, like this, there's this like the social media monster, like yeah. this thing that I just don't enjoy doing, but I'm forced to do because it's what I have to do to keep my business alive. Yes. And that, that fear, if I'm not doing this then my business is going to fail, but I don't, it's almost like a resentful because you didn't get into the restaurant industry to make videos and Correct. you know, like that's not your passion, but it becomes mandatory. So you end up resenting your business because of all this other shit. Yes. It's, it's the, it's the entrepreneurial myth, but like, I feel like, um, the biggest, uh, uh, What's the word? The the biggest uh oh there's a word uh the, the the most guilty party of this this or I'm not explaining this well. I mean I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm like, trying to find the right like, like you have to feed the content. The biggest machine. culprit is yeah. now today with like the entrepreneurial myth is like social media. Sure. It's this whole portion of your business that you just have to understand to be good at to be relevant. And my fear is that like we, this, this, we are fear based. We're reacting to what the market tells us we need. And now we're just all doing this stuff. And are we really, are we aware of the damage we're causing at the same time in the sense that like we're spending all this frigging time in screens and mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're so we live in a time right now where there's never been more people in the world and we've never lived in the safest place. When you look at how many people are alive and how many people are dying, like we live in the safest time. Um, there's never been a time statistically better time to, to be on this planet than it is right now. Yeah. Yet more people are committing suicide. More people are unhappy. More people are depressed. What the fuck's going on? Yeah. Right. And I really do think that it's because everyone's got their fucking face in a screen or a thing. And, they, and we're comparing ourselves to each other and like, Oh, like I'm not as good. And I think it's a, it's an issue. I don't know how I feel about it yet, but I do feel like 
we need to be a little bit more cautious about just reacting in all this fear-based market, 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 media, media, media. Like, I don't know if it's healthy. So there's, there's got to be a line that we have to draw to, to get on the same page to, to improve mental health. And I, think, I really do think that social media and being online and comparing each other and just simple overwhelm is the biggest culprit. I, first of all, I appreciate your antithesis to my thesis, <laughs> you know, it's- um, you know, essentially digital hospitality is something that not only is it the name of the podcast, but it's, it's the thesis that I'm, I'm embarking upon. So you appreciate my antithesis to your thesis. Yeah. So your, your antithesis to my thesis is, you know, back to mentors, I've always resonated with Gary Vee because he's all in on everything mm-hmm. digital. It's respond to everything. If there's someone tweets at you, you respond back. If someone sends you a DM, you DM them back. And that was something that nobody was talking about before. And that's something that I've always done. If someone writes a Yelp review, we write a Yelp review back. If someone messages us on Google Maps, we write a, a message back. Is it exhausting? Yeah, it's fucking exhausting. But it also creates that oh shit moment for a guest when somebody responds back because... 90% of the restaurant owners aren't going to do it because they're too yeah. fucking busy. Yeah. But, but if you, you are those 10%, now all of a sudden you've created this moment where like, holy shit, somebody actually responded. Yeah. Like I thought this was just, I was just throwing this needle and like, I, I can't believe there was actually somebody that, that cares enough to write a response back. Yeah. And for me, that's where all the magic happens. Mm-hmm. All that magic happens because we all are like, we can't deny the fact where you if you go out into a public place, everyone's looking at their fucking phone. Yeah. That is the truth of the matter. Every restaurant owner knows when someone's fucking food comes to the table, they're going to take their phone out and they're going to take a picture of it and they're going to either critique it or they're going to promote it. Yeah. That's our job to make Instagram worthy food. Yeah. We have to reverse engineer that experience. That doesn't mean that does not mean that personal face-to-face interaction without phones isn't important because that's something that we do provide. We provide that space for people to come and enjoy the Chargers Raiders game with other people, yeah, not just online, not just in their houses, but actually gathering as people. Yeah. I mean, I see the, I'm, I recognize the value in the internet. We, we talked about a lot of pros to the internet, uh, the ability to use it to, to level the playing field and to fragment the, the message and to spread knowledge. Like there's a lot of good, but at the same time, I think that we are so reactive, so reactive to what I need to do to survive and that we encourage that we're, we're enabling this issue of de central or of, of just isolation. Like we're so isolated in our worlds and we're so detached from reality. Um, and I, I, I fear that it's because we're just, we don't, we don't project. It's like the food system, right? We know that there's a broken food system mm-hmm. and for like 30, 20 years, we're just feeding to this broken food system. Cause we're focused on the bottom line and getting cheap food out, whatever. And we never, we never ask like, what's going to, what's the result of this going to be? Um, what's, what, what are the effects of, all these shortcuts and like all the, like, and I, I just wonder what the long-term effects are going to be when we're just, we don't know how to, we're not, we're, we as humans are not hardwired to work. Like technology wants sure. us to work. You know, it's a very counter human, you know, I think it's a whole nother conversation we need to have. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, you know, it, in, in AA, we, we talk about one day at a time and one day at a time is just really being present in the moment and the things that we can't change 
where I, I can't worry about the things yeah. that I can't change. All I can worry about is what I can do. Yeah. And what I can do is accept the fact that the internet is here. Yeah. Facebook is here. Yelp is here. TikTok is here. Email marketing is here. SEO is here. If I can't take advantage of, if that's not my strength, is there someone in my company or can I start looking at my marketing budget differently and start realizing that I need to start generate, I need to start thinking like an e-commerce company. Like I need online sales to happen for my business, whether that's through catering, whether that's through online orders, whether that's through third party delivery, all those things are important because guess what? They're going to happen yeah. regardless. No, I get Fucking it. Fucking regardless. I get it. Um, but I, I guess what I, what I hope for is that we start being a little more conscious as like all these things are good. All the things you're sharing with us are good and we need to learn how to exist in this medium, but we also need to learn how to get out of it at the same time. We have to learn. So, like, like, you know, we, I no, love a hot tub, but if I'm in the hot tub all day, I'm going to get all pruny and I'm going to be dehydrated and it's not going to be good for my health. So let's, let, we're going to find like, that balance. I'll, I'll give you a perfect <laughs> example. So yesterday we had orientation. We hired four new hospitality hosts, which is our entry level front of the house position. I had the orientation with Ian, my front of the house manager with my catering manager, Steven. We sat down with them, explained who we are, what our mission is and what digital hospitality is in that we talked about social media and the more that I do it, the more that I appreciate that it's changed. What the speech that I gave yesterday was different than what I gave three weeks ago. And what I told our new hosts was we live in a world where we want you to be on as many platforms as possible. We want you to follow the restaurant. We want you to understand what's going on. We want you to interact with the restaurant. We, we want to follow you too, not to invade your privacy, but if there's something that you care about, sometimes I'm going to learn about it on social media when you're not going to take the time to tell us that, Hey, you know, I'm having a tough time. You know, something's happening in my, and that's why we're in this business yeah. is literally like we do it for customers. Mm -hmm. So a hundred percent enlightened hospitality, we're going to do it for our staff, mm -hmm. but they need to know that that communication door is open at the same time we have a no cell phone policy as much as we want them to be on the internet, as much as we want them to promote, share our events on Facebook, to tweet about the restaurant, to do Snapchat. When they come in for their fucking shift, the phone goes away. Mm -hmm. Why does it go away? Distracts because you from we people, can't yeah. be in the people business exactly in the four walls of the restaurant. I mean, that's kind of the that irony phone. of it though. Isn't that the, kind of the, the irony of it all? Like we forget. And I think, it's 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 important to have this kind of conversation because yes, technology and, and and digital marketing and all this stuff is so impo impactful and so powerful and can have a huge benefits for your business. But I think we need to ask at the expense of what. And that's the only thing I'm saying is like yes, everything that you that you believe in and the ability to use these tools and these technologies to market ourselves are fucking awesome. But collectively, we need we all need to get on the same page and say where the hell do I mean, we draw the, the line? I mean that the I don't think collectively we we don't have a responsibility to, to make that. I mean, that technology is where it is. I mean, that's, you know, when, when there was horse buggies on the road, eventually the model T came Yeah, and there were people that were like, no, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. But what happened? Well, like, I mean, evolution happened, but like, that's, that's going to happen. I like, think what we're, but we, is there going to be consequences? Possibly. Of course. Absolutely. I, I don't disagree with that at all. And Ar Ariana Huffington, who started Huffington Post, she had a, a major collapse, a health crisis, because she was overworking herself. Yeah. She literally 
decided to start Thrive Global. Yeah. Thrive Global is her new company where they're literally helping people deal with technology, deal with sleep, because sleep is something that's so important that's not talked about. And she's on a mission to do things that, yes, her, she's a, it's a tech company, but at the same time, it's how do we unwind from tech? When you go to bed at night, is your phone next to you? It shouldn't be next to you. It should be in a different room. Mm-hmm. You should have a different alarm clock that wakes you up. Those are things that people are proactively doing to address screen time. I mean, I'm a father. I have to watch my son and limit his screen time because he's already working YouTube like a wizard. Yeah. I mean, the fucking kid, he's two, <laughs> he's two years old. He's working it like yeah. a wizard, but he gets addicted to it and I can see him getting addicted to it. So our job as parents is to limit that access. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I want to communicate is I think collectively we need to like, like there was a broken food system and now we're really starting to realize that the answer to the, the solution to the broken food system is to go back in time to do food slower, mm-hmm. right? And to, to be mindful of where we're sourcing. I think we're going to hit a point where we're, like a lot of, there's going to be a lot of health issues, mental health issues, social sure. issues. We're going to hit a point and we're going to have to say, okay, we need to go back. So like, it's just a matter of time and, and the, at the rate at which technology is improving and becoming more a part of our lives it's exponential. So the, the, the conversation needs to happen sooner or later. Like sure. how do we, like we don't have any etiquette around it, you know, like, like we have cultural etiquacies to like, we know what's appropriate and what's inappropriate because we have thousands of years of developing standards and, and, and values. Right. But there's no values established around this technology because it's, it's emerged so fast that culture society hasn't been able to keep up with it. We don't work quickly. We're very, it takes time to develop habits and beliefs and values. And we, often it's because of a result of something, right? Sure. So like the question is like, we get a, I don't know. I just, I'm all for technology. Obviously I wouldn't exist. This podcast wouldn't be possible for it, but we also have to be open-minded is my, my, my argument, I guess is to, well, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a better place to be open-minded about technology than in, <laughs> than, than in the hospitality yeah, space. This- I mean, like I said, it's the antithesis to my thesis, which is the thesis is the smartphone's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's only getting more powerful. The more time that we're spending personally, just look at our own personal habits, the habits of those that we love and that we care about, watch them. They're on their phone. Like my, we don't have a computer at our house. We, we surf the web online. We, we use Alexa. We're using voice technology. That's happening. So how do I, as a business owner, take advantage of that mm-hmm. and make sure that I'm not left in the dust when someone's searching for barbecue yeah. or someone's searching for fight night? Like that's what's you're reacting that, to the op- the opportunity that which is the which is the biggest opportunity that's ever happened before. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's, there's never been a time where a small tiny barbecue restaurant in spring Valley can actually talk to yeah. thousands of other restaurants. It is owners. powerful, man. And I think that's a pro and that's one of the pros that there's, there's pros and cons. And, sure. um, I think, I don't know. I'm like, I'm just spitballing here throwing no, out. No, I don't I, have the answer, like I, but I, we're not, we're going to find the answer. We're I, not told, gonna get I told you before start. the podcast is I appreciate the antithesis yeah. because it helps me form a better thesis because yeah. it's not just because it's digital hospitality doesn't mean there's not it's not about robots. It's not about automating the system. So there are no people like hospitality is a people business. It's it, we have to have our senses. I guess that's what I don't want people to lose sight of. You know, that, that's correct. Um, yeah. and, the, and that is a big fear. And that's when everyone, when someone's talking about digital, it's always, well, how do we automate it? How do we eliminate jobs? And I'm actually arguing that we're going to create more jobs because, and well, more revenue for restaurants that have never, that have never had these items. Yeah. Well, 
I think we're we're coming to a point because of technology and because of our ability to to learn things and to fight like to document things. We have so much. We're learning so much right now, and it's to the point where it's overwhelming. And believe me, I like I'm I'm a victim of like overwhelm because my job is to go out there and find out what the the the, the answer to success is, like how to do it. And I'm learning. I'm like, and, and you'd think the more you learn, the more answers you get, the more like the more clarity you're gonna have. But what I'm finding, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know shit. Yep. Because it's so complex yep. and it's so like, this is a solution and that's, and the world is, is not black and white. It's so complex and it's, it's overwhelming. But I think to kind of come full circle that the internet's going to create a lot of opportunity. I think the only way we're going to overcome this, this information overwhelm is by diversifying and having specialists and people that go into those verticals, those specifics and become experts so they can simplify it and, and manage whatever that topic is, whatever that, that, that field of expertise is so collectively we have we're di- we're a diverse culture with people that are this gonna be a world of specialists basically well, I mean, my, back back to what we were talking about before restaurateurs are resourceful so it's once the restaurateur has the oh shit i need to be on the internet moment once you have that moment we create job codes all the time yeah. we create barbacks we create expo positions like we're going to create this is the media division of yeah. our restaurant. Yeah. And the sooner that we get to and there, I think, yeah. the sooner we get to there, it's, I think the more that we're, we can't worry about everything. We are else. on the same all we page. Can, all we can worry about is what we can do within our, within our four walls and our community. Yeah. So earlier I, I mentioned my, my frustration with social media and having to, to be forced to stare at a screen. And that's not where I exist. Mm-hmm. I don't exist well in that medium. I don't like to be like, I have a screen in front of me right now, but where are my eyes? Well, you could be doing this podcast from, where you're, where you're from, from yeah. Boston. And I did for 400 episodes, Correct. but I chose to drive across the country to sit across from something because that's how I'm hardwired. Because that's where the magic is. Yeah. I mean, literally I just, I told you about the book that I read from Brian uh, Glazer, which is face to face. I mean, the magic happens face to face restaurant tours. We know that's where the magic happens. There's also that offline digital magic that can happen. That can bring somebody into your restaurant or that can experience your restaurant because they ordered the food online and it got delivered to them in a different part of the County. Mm. That's the magic. That's the exponential growth that all, but is that magic? So my counter argument to that is, is it magic that I'm more detached from my end user than ever before? Absolutely not. I would argue. Absolutely not. So there's a give and take with all this. As long, as long as my craft travels, then the magic isn't lost. So if, that slow smoke barbecue, if it loses its flavor by the time and it dries out, the brisket's dry by the time it gets to, let's say, 50 minutes outside of our restaurant, then yeah, then I need a better container. And yeah. if not, then, then I'm not going to do it mm. because there has to be that line. Yeah. There, that's that quality control, which we all know as restaurant. Yeah. Like we know that quality control has to happen because we do it already. Yeah. So I'm going to try to come full circle again with that. <laughs> I was on this train of thought um, that you said that it's going to create a lot of opportunities. Technology is going to create a lot of opportunities because it's not possible for one person to manage all these parts of their business yes. to be competitive. And I agree with that. And I think that like my solution for something, this is my, this was going to be my original thought when I mentioned that I don't like social media, that I don't like staring at screens. I'm not hardwired for this, but the solution I would assume my solution would be to partner with somebody who does love it. 100%. And and that's again, we're diverse, like diversification. Like we're all very different people and we need to learn that. Like if we're going to be the best, we have to do it with other people. We have to be willing to open up our platform to get other people on to, to delegate the things that we're not good at. Um, and I think that's going to be my solution. So if you're out there listening, 
Um, I don't know who that person is yet, but <laughs> well, it, and, I, and I would argue even, even more that it doesn't have to just be one person. Like we just have to tell our intentions to the internet and say, Hey, I'm going to be in San Diego. If you listen to restaurants unstoppable and you love social media and you know, somebody there that's willing to come and help us for, for day, yeah. two hours, record some video, take some photos, publish them, you know, on a couple different social platforms. That's a fucking hell of an opportunity yeah, I could be for a student. Like, yeah, you're right. You have to look at it from a student's perspective as you've done so much to create so much content that people look at and they're like, holy shit, you've been doing it for that long. This, like, this is how you make money. Yeah. You know, 1% of podcasters make fucking money. Yeah, I know. I'm 1%. I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Half a million podcasts, 1%. And you're doing that and you've made it all the way out to Spring Valley. Why? Because of technology. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, back to what you're saying, is if you're not comfortable with it, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Mm. Like you have, we all have to lean into our strengths. Yeah. And I, and I wholeheartedly believe leaning into our strengths is the only way that you can create a successful company yeah. and all the greatest people I, before you met my general manager, Eric, you, you asked, what does he do? Literally? He's the yin to my yang. Yeah. He's the reason why I'm podcasting and why I'm building a, a media company because he's operations. Mm-hmm. Like he fucking runs the restaurant. Yep. Which is a in which is, there would be no podcast, there would be no conversation if that didn't happen, right? John, I think I've been loving this conversation, dude. I really have, but I'm looking at the clock, and now you have to pick up your daughter in about 40 minutes. So I don't want to make. <laughs> we've got to make sure she gets picked up. She uh, will get picked up. One question I've been I like to ask all my guests: the, the the mission statement of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And we're going to do that by making an example and sharing the knowledge of people like you. Um, so, how have you transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were in 2008, over 10 years ago? in this business? How have you evolved? I mean, I think the most important thing that I've learned is, is giving back and not just giving back to the community, but giving back to the internet and also being vulnerable, uh, being vulnerable as a business owner, having other conversations with other restaurant owners, with other people that are in different industries because different industries offer different perspectives but we're all going through this digital revolution together. And if we don't have these conversations, they happen at home. I mean, you're, you're talking about, it's this huge disconnect between, you know, this fear of screens. Like I have to do a better job. I have arguments with my wife and I, and I absolutely love my wife. I want to be a better husband, but I need to put the phone down when I go home because I know if, if it's around me, I'm going to be checking all these different social platforms so that I can respond to shit guess what? That can happen at a different time, you know, and that's probably the biggest thing that, you know, I I think is not only stay curious, not only get involved, but also take the time to be present in the moment. I love it. This has been a great conversation. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're gonna bust out a speed round. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions no more guessing other features include detailed daily and labor data from your pos system accounts payable automation automated bank reconciliation incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees all saving you time money and 
and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on Prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you, Sean, is what is your it factor? Habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Curiosity. What is your biggest weakness? Financial accountability. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you are building your team, interviewing, trying to find that next person to to be a part of your team? Heart. Mm, How do you know they have heart? It's in their blood. It's their blood type. <laughs> so when you, how do you know what their blood type is? What, what are you looking for? Like, what's the thing that, that tells you that they have heart? Empathy. Mm. So one of the things for us is always customer service. The whole term customer service I have a real fucking problem with because customer service is treating someone like a human. Yeah. Like it's no shit. If somebody fucking comes to the door, you open the door. Yeah. If someone calls, you answer the, like, Customer service is bullshit. It's a bullshit standard. Yeah. That's why hospitality and digital hospitality is it's extending. It's listening to people's needs, anticipating needs, understanding that you seen, you're seeing with your eyes that there's an elderly woman at the door. You understand you're not going to go seat her in a fucking bar stool because it's going to be very hard for her to sit up there. Mm-hmm. I need to know that my host understands that. Yeah. Just being mindful, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Biggest challenge today is I don't think I have a biggest challenge today, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, that's, that's part of the, isn't it, isn't that being unstoppable? I mean, it, it's all, it's, it's all, it's all gas. No I break. Think it, well, I think it's also learning that your life, life is just a series of challenges Yeah, I mean, and it, that it's never going to get easier and that it's always going to be relative to where you are. And if you're doing it right, you're always just creating new challenges in your life, but like positive challenges, yeah. like always like leaning against it. Right. And being in that, that state of discomfort yeah, um, and accepting it <laughs> that it's okay to be, well, I, I, I mean, just, just before we started this podcast, I, I was, tapped by Katie Temple, who has become a close friend and respected, incredible sports journalist here in San Diego, worked for the Atlanta Braves as a sports anchor. And uh, she's become a close friend. And she thought that I would be a candidate for man of the year to raise money next year in 2020 for leukemia and lymphoma society. And I have this challenge to raise at least $50,000 to use my network to to do something that will have an impact. And 
the fact that she chose me out of the network of people that she knows who are all movers and shakers is uh, it's a challenge. That is a challenge. And hopefully we can help you with that challenge at I the end of this uh, recording. I we'll give people that. an opportunity to know how to connect with you. Um, the next question, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be a way to act. Make memorable moments. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So, so this is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. Common within our, four I think you can walls. double dip with that. Make memorable moments. I mean, that one. yeah, it's, it's, it's our job to engineer memorable moments. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the essence of hospitality is, is giving back and it's making the story extend beyond our four walls. If, if we do an incredible job, at all of our points of service, at all of the things that we train from the parking lot, we have a people that help with parking on our busiest nights. If he smiles and welcomes somebody, if it's raining and he brings out an umbrella, he's already setting the table for what's going to happen throughout the rest of the shift, They're, throughout the rest of the experience. They're going to come in the door. They're going to get smiled at. They're going to get acknowledged. Whoever they're with, they're going to Ask them, would you like to sit in a booth? Would you like to watch the Patriots game? Would you like to watch a Chargers game? What are you here to do? It's us understanding what those needs are, delivering on those needs, and going above and beyond and creating something that they have. They're, so, they're compelled to write a five-star Yelp review. Mm. They're compelled to go to Facebook and post something about it. Now they're carrying our message forward. I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? One book that's a must read. You got four or five on the table right here. Yeah, we're gonna go with um, we're gonna go with Story Brand. Uh, with Do me Donald, a favor, Donald hold that Miller. up in front of you as you're going, so we can look at the the, the cover. We have video now. I gotta remember there's video. Story, Story Brand. Story Brand by Donald Miller. Um, he also has a podcast, which is a phenomenal yes, weekly weekly podcast. Uh, but it's essentially clarifying your message. Yep. So it's uh, it's it's been phenomenal for us as we've transitioned from. Behind the Smoke Media, which was our first podcast to digital hospitality and really combining our restaurant and media company into CaliBBQ.media. I love it. Uh, is that the one that you want to recommend? I don't know if you That's want to go one. through the whole stack. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, the other one, I guess we'll just go with uh, The Power of Moments, Okay, which is back to making memorable moments. And that's uh, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Um, Beautiful. And uh, they did a phenomenal job talking about the things that we remember. So, and uh, this is episode 675. You head over to restaurantstoppable.com, search 675. I will have links to those books, and I'm pretty sure those are both on audio. So, if you go use audibletrial.com/slash unstoppable, you and you're not already listening to audio books. I mean, it's a game changer. I don't know about you. I mean, I know you like to read books. I like to listen to books. Yeah. Um, but please use my links. You're supporting the show and thank you in advance. The next question I have for you is what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? promoting themselves. Mm. I think it's inherently difficult for us in the hospitality business to understand that we live in a world where yes, people will come food writers will come. People will come to cover our business because of the relationships and the quality of the product. But at the end of the day, once we learn to publish on the internet and promote the things that we care about, not just our business, but our mission, um, what we do for our staff, what we do for our community, the things that we do for our charity, we can learn things and be a hub that that's beyond being a restaurant. Mm, I love it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the restaurant industry that's had a huge ba- impact on the operations, communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? 
Up and Go. Up and Go is a mobile payment solution. It was the first episode that we did for Digital Hospitality, which is essentially episode 101, but it's Digital Hospitality 1. And uh, we've had the found, we had the founder of the technology on. Essentially, you can pay with your phone. So you pay with your phone. That's a QR code that prints on the receipt. Uh, one of the biggest difficulties and steps of service is you go and you have an incredible meal and you're waiting for the the fucking check. (laughs) Like, where's the server? And then the server comes and they drop the check and then they leave. And then now you have to wait for them to come back to process the check. This, they already have the check at their table. They can pay at any point. They can uh, split payments and it's just an incredible, uh, incredible technology. It's uh, it's one more time up and go up and go yep. uh, this is the last question it's a doozy are you ready for it yep if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three things be get involved one stay curious two and lead with love. Awesome. Sean, this has been a great conversation, man. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Sam, the cooking guy, owner of Not Not Tacos with 1 million YouTube subscribers. That's incredible. Sam, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. I think if I try to build my my technology argument against him probably won't go that way. <laughs> uh, and how can we connect with you if uh, we want to uh, maybe come join your team maybe uh, learn more about digital marketing what's the best way to connect or maybe uh, contribute to this this uh, uh, this challenge that you were just tasked with of raising a, what fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand at least fifty thousand dollars okay maybe for, we want to help out with that what's the best way to connect uh, best way to connect is is always just to uh, go to cali media um, but you can always email me at Sean at Cali comfort or find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If, if, if you search my name and you don't find me, then I'm not doing my job. And then uh, <laughs> there's the digital hospitality, um, podcast Correct. that you guys can all check out. So Correct. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, please. And this, again, this is episode 675 head over to restaurant slash six, seven, five. Oh, and there is one thing I have to, to mention. If any of the listeners from Restaurant Unstoppable listen to this podcast, please DM me. Please send me an email. Contact me. Let me know you heard it, especially if you're coming to San Diego, because we want to give you behind-the-scenes VIP treatment. Uh, we appreciate you listening awesome. to the show. Awesome. Uh, great stuff, man. Uh, I say it all the time. Um, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Cheers. Yeah, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable in the archive. I hope you all found value in today's conversation. And I could not be more excited to announce that Restaurant Unstoppable is now on video. That's right. I'm not talking about a still cover photo with audio on YouTube. I'm not even talking about a pixelated Skype video with me and my guests in, you know, 3,000 miles apart. I'm talking in person in the restaurant HD video now available on YouTube 
And I could not be more excited. And you're going to be like right there with us in the restaurant. You're going to get to see behind the scenes footage, hopefully. And, you know, we've recorded over 50 interviews to date. And I've been taking the restaurant unstoppable now for uh, almost two years. We've been on the road. And the natural evolution is to bring a camera and to, to let you guys see my guests, to let you guys see the restaurant, to let you see the real human connection that's happening there. And uh, I'm just so excited. If you guys want to. See these videos. Here's what you got to do. Head over to YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable uh, and then subscribe to future episodes. Or what you can do is head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever episode number it is. And I'll be sure going forward to have a link to that video or to that episode's video on YouTube. And please subscribe. And please, please, please help me spread the word about what, what, what I'm doing here with these interviews. Uh, the the you know the finest the most successful restaurateurs sharing their knowledge sharing their values sharing their stories to transform the industry to to make us all better and to uh, just just to you know go in a, the right direction uh, I cannot be more excited so again head over to restaurantunstoppable.com whatever today's restaurant or whatever today's episode number is, or just shoot to uh, YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable and subscribe to the face-to-face interviews. And uh, also, guys, I got to remind you to please subscribe to my emails and to find me on social media. Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com is the email. Social media, Eric Cacciatore in uh, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, cannot wait to connect. And I'm so, so, so excited for the future. This is going to be awesome. All right. Until next time, peace out.